Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Arts Hour. I'm Terry Fluker, Arts Industry Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. In the studio with me today is David Carey. David is the Artistic Director of Ballet Mississippi and a 2018 Governor's Arts Award recipient. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, of course, your resume is full, and I want to jump into some, some things that you've done over the years. But first, I want to start out by uh, asking you, where were you from? Where are you from? Mississippi. I was born in Natchez. My father was an independent petroleum geologist, so he did a lot of his work in, down in um, Natchez and Wilcox, all those areas down there. And we moved from Natchez when I was two to Jackson, so I have virtually no recollection of it, although my brothers do because they were six and eight years older than me. So I've always lived in Jackson, you know, been here going to die here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jackson, so you went to um, elementary school? Went to here? elementary school, went to Green Elementary, McLeod Elementary. Um, yeah, McLeod, I'm trying to think from there. Then Jackson Academy to get my grades back on track because I, I did not believe in taking home books and studying and doing homework. <laughs> my father would ask me what kind of homework I had. I said a little bit of spelling. He said in the 11th grade. <laughs> I kid you not. But wow. um, Jackson Academy back in those days was a kind of a reform school. So if you went there, it was either because you had a learning disability or you were really brilliant or something in between, and it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And then he put me in the Woodland Hill. Baptist Academy, and I stayed there for two years, and uh, when the summer course came up, I had two courses to take to get out, and I went early. (laughs) (laughs) And they were probably very happy. (laughs) Being a ballet dancer in a Baptist school back in the 70s was not cool. (laughs) Well, when did you start dancing? Well, I remember um, we—my mother was—well, first of all, my father was— and my mother were both very musical people. My dad had a dance orchestra at Mississippi State called the Southern Airs. It was like a big dance band. And his players went on to um, other orchestras like Skitch Henderson, Benny Goodman, Tommy Dorsey bands. They, they were, those guys were great. I only found this out after he passed away. My mother was involved in little theater, like uh, the Jackson Little Theater. I think it was it was not new stage back then. But um, she came in one night, and she was doing a musical, and the the lady directing it was Albia Cavan, who was head of Jackson Ballet. But I was about seven at the time, six or seven, and she said, um, this is what we do. What do you think about this? Because I would watch Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. I loved all those musicals and I'd try and imitate them. And So I said, yeah, it looks interesting. She said, would you like to try a dance class? I said, sure. And I thought that was going to be the end of it, you know, and I was just appeasing mom. But little did I know about three weeks later, I found myself in a ballet studio, well, dance studio with a lady named Jean Schamberger. And Jean was not uh, from the the big ballet companies like Albia was at Jackson Ballet, but she had studied a lot in New York and did a lot of Broadway work. And she was a wonderful teacher and knew how to put the love of dance in her kids. And I started with her when I was about seven or eight. And when I was 13, well, when I was 12, we would go to see the Jackson Ballet spring performances because there was no Nutcracker back in those days. It was just one concert at the end of the year. 
and they had Edward Villela here from New York City Ballet, and he brought this young 15-year-old phenomenon, Gelsey Kirkland, with him. And Villela was incredible. And I looked at my dad, and I said, that's what I want to do. And he said, okay, we'll talk about that. So I started my ballet training that year, the summer I turned 13, which was really pretty late and definitely late for today's standards. And um, I started with Albia Cavan at Jackson Ballet, and she really shaped and formed me as far as uh, really putting in a foundation. She was a wonderful teacher. She was a wonderful dancer herself. And I can't tell you how much this community owes her and her husband because had they not done this, there would be no IBC, there'd be no Ballet Mississippi, there would not, there would, it would just not be the same. So I was with her for three years, and then uh, Jackson Ballet switched gears and brought in Thalia Mara. There were some other teachers in between. And Thalia was from a very different school than Albia, but um, her, she had a very strong training method and a very different approach, and she really reorganized the way that we all approached ballet, which was badly needed. And when she came down here, she came down with the assumption that there was this real ballet community, and she got here and uh, realized on Friday night when only three of us showed up for ballet class it, it was not a ballet community. It was a football community, and it, it drove her nuts. And I'll never forget that night, you know, that we walked in there, and she said, where is everybody? And we all looked at each other like, they're at the ball game, you know. <laughs> but uh, And she kind of um, had a meltdown, and rightfully so, because, you know, she was expecting one thing and got another. So she's a very bright woman. She said, well, if this is sports-oriented and competitions are coming up, why don't we get a ballet competition here? And so she sold that idea, and... Um, you know, some people thought she was nuts, you know, for even thinking that. I mean, there were people saying, are you crazy? We can't do this. It's Mississippi, blah, blah, blah. Um, but she just didn't ever take no for an answer, and she had strong principles. And so those were the two strong ladies that I grew up under. And I left Jackson when I was either 19 turning 20, yes, 19 turning 20, and went to New York City Ballet School full-time. I went to the School of American Ballet during the summer courses, but um, when I was around 19, I realized I had to make a decision. So I, I went, and they offered me a position, and I stayed there. And a year later, I was an apprenticeship in the New York City Ballet. So that's pretty crazy for a kid from Mississippi. <laughs> it sounds exciting. It was fun. I mean, yeah. the people that I got to work with and the training and the pedagogues, you, you know, a million dollars can't buy that. It's just once-in-a-lifetime thing. What is it about dance? Um you know, I think many people have um, uh, different opinions of, of of dance and dancers, and I want to know what you what you think about dance in terms of it being special or if it being um, um, what is it? What is it about dance? You know, this is something that we have been talking and discussing for probably all the years that I can remember doing this as a child, but. When, I think when you combine the elements of movement and music and athleticism and expression and you don't have to open your mouth and say two words, there's something really cool and special about that. Uh, to be able to communicate something physically and musically and with emotion and passion, it, it's unique. It, I mean, it, you know, a singer is on stage and they have music, they got melody, they got a band or an orchestra, and they, you know, you can hear it come from their heart and, you know, their mouth. But with a dancer, you see all of this in, in that same kind of format. 
And I think that when people go into a ballet studio and they see these dancers just really, um, well, for example, when we were doing Sleeping Beauty a couple of years ago, one of my ballet fathers was in the cast and he stayed around and watched it. And he said, good gosh, I had no idea that these kids are like racehorses, you know. And I said, yeah, I said, it's really, and it totally enthralled him. And he said, you should bring all your supporters in here and let them see this. It would, you know, and it does. It touches your heart and your soul and your, your intellect and, and everything else. And um, I think that's the, you know, the catch with it. I think that's the big hook with it. I, I would agree. And, you know, um, I was sharing with you um, early that um, last week I had a chance to see Ailey, too. Right. Um, um, Alvin Ailey and um, and his I'm a big fan of him. Yeah. And, um, Spectacular company. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think just as an audience um, person, person sitting in the audience and, and seeing the dancers on stage, you you. You you feel all of what you say, right? You know, it's right, it's, and it's it's this move and the movement that you see on stage. You want to sort of you know right. emulate that, or it's something something sort of visceral comes up. I, I think for me as a as a young boy growing up, I mean, I w- I had a ear for music, and um, I could play piano by ear, and then I started studying guitar, and I still play guitar a lot. And for me to be able to sit down with an instrument and and you know sometimes i just start out with a chord and see where it's going to take me but it's it's a very spiritual kind of journey that you have as a musician and and that's why i love acoustic artists so much that you know don't even open their mouth they just sit down or with a piano or a guitar even a violin and oboe i mean all of those and <clears throat> you have this incredible uh, expression, you, you know it, and you'll hear it on some of the musical selections I brought in today. It, it touches you, and as as a as a guitar player doing that, it, it's the greatest release from all of the pressures. And I mean, I can come in wound up tighter in a piano chord, and after thirty minutes, you know, life is good again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same thing with ballet, because I know that when we would go into a studio and. And, and when New York City Ballet, you know, there we did 42 to 48 performances of Nutcracker, and we had a whole winter season and then like four weeks off and then a whole spring season. And you're in the studio every day and into the night, and some mornings you go into the studio and y- your mind and body are elsewhere. I mean, you're, you're tired, you're physically, uh, mentally, emotionally tired. But the minute that you that first piano chord happens and the first minute that plie happens, something t- takes over. And it's really hard to explain. It, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's satisfying, and you feel your body, you feel all the aches and pains, but you work through it, and it, it's like a big puzzle. And then by the end of the day, you look back and you think, gosh, nine hours ago I was at the bar, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there is something really satisfying about it, that, and I think that that reaches over to your audience. Yes, absolutely it does. You mentioned the New York City Ballet, um, and you knew George Balanchine. Yeah, this was really strange. Um, I got to the school in 78, 1978. I went in the fall for the winter course. And by November, he came in and started taking um, male dancers for two opera ballets that we were doing. One was with the New York City Opera, Dido and Aeneas. And we worked with him quite a lot on that. And the second one was uh, Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme, and that was with Rudolf Nureyev, who had never had a Balanchine work staged on him or choreographed on him, and this was the first. And Mr. Balanchine was, um, 
he he worked a lot with Nureyev on that, and we were all involved with that process. In fact, there's there's a photo there's a book out on Balanchine now, and there's a photograph of him walking by, and there I am holding one of the candelabras in the uh, one of the scenes. It was a funny comical ballet, and uh, it was historical. I mean, that working with Nureyev and watching those two work was just really poetic, and um, that was kind of our first you know, introduction, so to speak, of being with Balanchine. And then he came into the school that following October and took uh, apprentices. And out of a class of about 40 dancers, I was lucky to be chosen, one of six. Wow, what an experience. It's crazy. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. I'm Turi Fluker, Arts Industry Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. In the studio with me today is David Carey. David is the Artistic Director of Valley, Mississippi, and a 2018 Governor's Art Award award recipient. Um, We've been talking about dance. We've been talking about um, your time in New York, uh, working with George Balanchine. And I'm just so fascinated by that because um, obviously he's just a luminary in the dance world. Uh, What type of person was he? Well, you know, you can, it depends on when you want to read about him. <laughs> um, in the early days, you know, you'll have some people, well, he's always been referred to as just this genius and visionary, and, and there's no doubt about that. For me personally, um, yes, he was demanding, but he was gentle. He was kind. If he didn't like what he saw, you knew it. You always, I felt like as a, you know, just being in his company class, you always knew where you, you stood with him, and, and if you didn't, it was because he was so smart, and he would throw things at you that make you go think about. He was he was so simplistic. Like he would say, "Just go work on tendu." Well, that's a basic exercise at the bar that you start. It's like the second exercise at the bar. Well, if anybody else hears that, they think, "Well, that's just being very condescending." But it wasn't. I mean, because this one step, this one training tool, is the is the base and foundation for everything in classical dance. So, and he was always, you know, he wanted fast, complete, articulate presentation of the legs and feet and the energy and attack and and how that happened. And he was very much a classicist. He was uh, demanding on the head and the arms and the body positions. Uh, Now, what dancers did with that in his choreography, that was something else. That was choreography. But in class, he was very much a classical dancer. minded uh, ballet master. He was just brilliant. And I loved being around him. I wasn't around him as long as I wish I was. He he was sick a lot of the times and then died in 1983. But the short time that I was there, he impacted us. And the thrill of being on stage and seeing him in the stage right, downstage right wing is, I can see it in my mind. And the energy on stage was incredible. And it was just a glorious time. Sounds like it. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think about when I think about dance is that dancers really have to have tough skin. Yes. And um and 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 you you really can't if you want to move through it, you can't just be, you know, all in your emotions. It doesn't seem like This is so true. Yeah. I think, too, that dancers are raised up to think, I need to go be a soloist. I want to be a principal. I want to be a star. That is that is such wrongful thinking. And, you know, I'm proud of it, too. I'm not criticizing. But one of the things I learned in New York City Ballet, and it was probably a life lesson, is that Balanchine would put dancers in roles 
regardless of their status. Well, I never made it to a lot of those things at all. I mean, I had a demi-solo in one role in Symphony in C, and it was, you know, I was grateful to get there. But early in my career, you know, you figure it out pretty quick. If you're smart and honest with yourself, you figure it out. I'm not going to be superstar material, but really, who cares? So what I started doing is I started watching those performances. I was in that theater every night, or I'd go to the school and watch class. For some reason, some inner voice, something kept telling me, go study. And, and you know, Balanchine was like that with us. He said, you must train. You must think. You must study. You, you have to do. Do it now. There's no tomorrow. Um, I remember one time in class he said, I need it now because you might get hit by a bus on Broadway. Um, but he was very much a in-the-now uh, person. And that really molded and shaped all of us there. I mean, I, I talked to my you know, colleagues and peers. And that's that's still that philosophy, that energy is still much a part of the way we think today. And because of that, um, I think it shaped me to do what I'm doing today. And I would watch the corps de ballets and all those marvelous patterns and musicality. And it, and it influenced me. I mean, it, it, you can't walk out of there and not be influenced about it. So to me, it was not so much about trying to be number one. It was about trying to really absorb the art and learn it and keep growing with it um, because it's always changing. It's always moving, and it's, it's, it's going to oscillate in all different directions. But you have to be pliable, and you, got it. you do have to be tough. But it's not about being number one because some of the greatest dancers I've known now are not even in the art. They're, you know, they marry and they go do something else, and that's wonderful, but... You know, it, what's a old adage, the greatest quarterback's not the greatest coach or something like that, you know. So I don't know. A lot of my friends are in the, are in the field and or um, related to it, and they're, they're doing marvelous things. So, Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing is, is that, you know, it seems like you learn such valuable life lessons as you yes. are um, sort of moving through this um well you do because you have to you have to be able to confront adversity you have to be able to confront the fact that somebody else may get chosen for a role that you've got your heart and mind set on it is a very short career for some it's even more short if they have a bad injury uh there's nothing promised in this career like anything else in life and you have to go into it. One of the things that Thalia Mara said to me and then my teacher at SAB, Andre Kramarevsky, and then Balanchine said it, just work. You know, mm-hmm. get rid of all the junk, leave all the crap at the door and just come in and work. And that, I think that has always stayed with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such such valuable Yeah. Um, advice. You know, one there's a in Jennifer Dunning's book but first to school she catalogs Balanchine's creating uh, the School of American Ballet and there's a story about he was in Paris I think and this lady this French woman came up and said to him, "Oh, Mr. Balanchine, I'm so gra- glad you're going to teach my daughter how to dance." And he replied something to the effect, "No, ballet class is about morals. It's not about learning to dance." And what he was trying to say that the 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 training of classical ballet teaches structure and discipline and and through that structure and through that discipline and through the rules you find freedom mm-hmm. and then once you get into choreography you start breaking those rules a little bit to make things happen and and that really influenced me too mm-hmm. and and I think it's always 
maybe that's why I went to it as a child and didn't really go to school if I could get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you needed freedom. I needed freedom, yeah. but I found it within the structure and the discipline of the classical ballet. Yes. And I've, I've heard classical pianists and art, musical artists say the same thing. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain level of freedom that you have within those, you know, all those structured right. and, and disciplined, you still are able to express. And, and, yeah, and I mean, get look at out. the works of Picasso. I mean, oh, a yeah. friend of mine says, yeah, you just take, you, you paint a face and turn it upside down. No, it's not that simple. I mean, if you look at this use of color and, and Van Gogh the same way, I mean, they were breaking all the rules, but there was still a structure and a discipline in what their, you know, their artwork was all about. Absolutely. So you, you're in New York, you come back to, you mentioned it earlier, but you come back to Mississippi. Well, I, I was in New York City Ballet in 1983. I had a pretty bad accident. I ripped the ligaments in my right ankle and had to have surgery. And in the process, I met a friend of mine on the street who was a great dancer in ballet theater, and she happened to be dating my one of my best friends. And they're six to eight, ten years older than me. And I, it was on a cold, rainy night on Broadway. I'll never forget it. And it was gray, and it was dark, and we ran into each other. And she said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm not doing well at all. I can't I can't get through the, the PT of the physical training of this injury, and I can't go back into regular class because my body wasn't ready for that. And she said, come study with me. Her name is Nanette Glushak. So about three months later, I finally decided to go get off my you know, rear end and go study with her. And she changed my life. Well, we became great friends, and um, Michelle, who is her husband now, and they were together at the time, we had known each other at North Carolina School of the Arts, and I had great respect for him, and they said, came to me in 85, and they said, we're taking over a company in Fort Worth, Texas, and the repertoire is going to be fantastic. We need a principal soloist dancer. And things, you know, Balanchina died, and New York City Ballet was going through a lot of changeover, and I thought, you know what? I am so tired of living in New York City. I've been going back and forth to this place for a long time, living here. And it's rough. It's not an easy, It's not for the easy, faint of heart. You know, you got to be tough to deal with that city. So I took him up on it, and it was the two best years of my life, but my body started breaking down. Mm-hmm. And I had a problem with a disc in my lower back in the sacrum area, and it's still to this day sitting here. I can tell you, I can feel it. So I was hitting 29, and I thought, I got to finish my education because one thing happened to me at 13 when I decided to do this ballet. My father said, I was also playing guitar a lot. He said, it's either ballet or guitar, but it's not both. You've got to choose and put your eggs in that basket. And he laid out for me. He said, if you're going to study music, you're going to have to go get a music degree because being a professional musician is going to be rough and you're going to need to have a business degree because you're going to probably run a music store. He said, I don't know what to tell you about the ballet, but it's going to probably be much the same. You're going to need to get a college education. You're going to need to get a business degree because you're going to probably run a ballet studio. He was right. So I came back to Jackson in 1988 and started, finished my undergrad degree in English literature at Millsaps and then got into a law school a year after that because I thought I wanted to go be a lawyer and finished law school, went and clerked on the state Supreme Court with Judge Smith, who's no longer on the court, but he was a great man and a great mentor to so many of us. And um, about that time, the Valley Mississippi was going through a pretty rough stage financially, and I, they wanted me to come on as board of directors, and they said, no, we don't need that. And I said, look, let me help the transition between Fernando and the board, and I can be a liaison. I can help in that way because I know nothing about fundraising. I know nothing about being on board, don't want any of that. But 
But anyway, what happened was there, they called an emergency board meeting, and I was called in, and the president, who was also the chairman, had left and moved to New York uh, to D.C., and this man pointed at me and said, you're going to be president, and pointed at another man and said, you're going to be chairman, and we tried to keep that ship from sinking, but it was, it was too far gone. So when, uh, by March of 94, we had to suspend the uh, operations of the professional company, and so f- there was nothing left. And we were heavily in debt, and Warren Ludlam, who's no longer living, was head of the Bally Mississippi Foundation, and he came to my rescue and helped me get a loan to take care of the debt and gave me about a year to get the school up and see if it was possible. And we started with 25 students, and by the end of the year we had about 60 students. And somebody said, gosh, it would be nice if you could do a nutcracker. And I said, well, I've been thinking about it. And then their enrollment went to 80 like that. And I said, what is going on? They said, well, you're doing nutcracker, aren't you? I said, I guess I am now. <laughs> and that was crazy. I mean, it, wow. it, I mean, we put it together overnight, but um, it jump-started it. Mm. And um, there's a lot of sweat equity in that organization. Mm-hmm. What are the origins of, of ballet Mississippi? Well, it, was, it comes from a merger of Jackson Ballet and Mississippi Ballet Theater because after Albia and Rex, uh, Albia Gavan, Rex Cooper had established uh, Jackson Ballet, uh, the actor James Best and his wife Joe B moved to Jackson, and um, unfortunately, she was not brought into Jackson Ballet, mm-hmm. and so she went and set up her own school mm-hmm. and called it Mississippi Ballet Theater. So there was a little bit of rift in town between the two groups, but they came together in 1983 and created Ballet Mississippi. So mm-hmm. um, it's a rich cultural heritage around here in that regard. It, yes, it certainly is, and it's influenced many, yes. many, many folks. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. I'm Turi Fluker, Arts Industry Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. In the studio with me today is David Carey. David is the Artistic Director of Valley, Mississippi, and a 2018 Governor's Arts Award recipient. So we've been talking a lot about um, your amazing life and career. Um, so we were going over sort of the history of of ballet mississippi right and um and so what are some of the the what were some of the early activities that you um experienced once you found that the nutcracker was or you once i took it once um, you took over you know i think the hardest thing and still the hardest thing is the concept of a training syllabus for our kids uh-huh. But what makes that even more difficult is that we're so hungry for space. We need to be in a building so we can have four to eight studios. We can't expand. And the kids need to be in class all the time. I mean, when you look at the national average of the the students in this country, they're taking a minimum of four to eight classes a week. There's a wonderful school in, um, um, it's called Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet. And those kids take up to 13 classes a week. Oh, wow. I know. It's crazy. But you ought to see how good they are. I mean, they're phenomenal. And Marcia Weary, director of that, and Darla Hoover, associate director, who was in New York City Ballet and a wonderful dancer and great friend of mine, uh, they have just been churning out these phenomenal dancers, and they're in all the great companies all over the world. And that's my goal here is to be able to provide – that kind of training ground so these kids can go anywhere and compete. I mean, 
you know, my kids are, the average number is three days a week, but they still go to Boston Ballet. Uh, some are going to Central Pennsylvania this summer. Um, I've had some to go to Pacific Northwest Ballet, Houston Ballet Academy, Boston Ballet, Miami City Ballet. I've put them out all over, and they've held their own. But it's just so comp- complicated because the uh, the competition out there for these students is unreal. I mean, I don't know how many dancers there are in the country right now, students. But I remember about five or ten years ago, the, the number thrown at me was around eighty to 100,000. And those kids are not all going to be in this art as professionals. So you can see the numbers start to shrink real quick. And it's a logjam of trying to get a job. And so they have to be, you know, the technology has changed this. I mean, these kids are so savvy with all of the social media and all of the things they have to learn ballets. And a lot of it's erroneous because, you know, you can go see a ballet on YouTube, but you don't know if that choreography is absolutely 100% right. And... So the other thing that we're seeing is these dancers take great liberty with the classics. And and what I knew the choreography to be for these classical roles, I don't know where it went, but it's not mm-hmm. there anymore. It would be the same, the equivalent of it is taking a Mozart piano concerto and saying, you know what, we're going to change that cadenza today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to change that uh, A structure. And, you know, you just don't do it. Mm-hmm. But that's that's where it's going. And... and there's a big, you know, discussion about this in the dance world. How do we preserve what we know to be the original choreography, but yet the, the art's got to live and breathe and it's got to expand. So it, it's it's an artistic, cultural dilemma, but, you know, it's happening and, and it's phenomenal. But these kids have access to all this today, whereas when I was growing up, we didn't even have a VHS recorder until the 80s. <laughs> right, <know>? and <laughs> I mean, it's just nuts. Right. Now you pull out a little phone, and you know you can video anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's the big the big challenge of getting these kids trained, providing them more opportunity. And truthfully, I, I think you know Thalyamar said that Mississippi should be the mecca for dance in the southeast, and. I'm going to take it a step further. I think that we should be the mecca for the South, from Atlantic to Pacific, and even going north. I think there's uh, a great argument to be made that we could have a stellar academy here with a stellar faculty and putting out some of the the greatest work. I mean, I look at what's going on down in Orlando. Oh, my gosh, Orlando Ballet is, you know, coming along. They're beautiful. Same thing at Miami. Houston Ballet, it's phenomenal. Why don't we have the same thing here in Mississippi? Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up Thalia. I was going to go back to um, to her. Um, you know, it just seemed as though she was really determined to make yeah. Jackson that She that was place. a very, very headstrong, demanding woman. She just was tough. And wanted to to do what she right. wanted to do, how she wanted to do it. Right. Um, which is just incredible of what she was able right. to do for this this town in terms of dance. So exactly. I, I believe that it could be. I do too. And that. see, and here's the thing that we've got to be really thinking about and considering. These competitions, everything has a life of its own. Not, like Balanchine said, nothing's forever, dear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, we don't know. I mean, the Youth American Grand Prix right now is hot. And these young kids from all over the country are flocking to that. But these big competitions are expensive and they're tough, and we're doing extraordinarily well right now. I mean, Sue Lebrano set up a wonderful foundation. The IBC board is 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 just 
you know, worked like Trojans, you know, to get this done. Billy Munger's been a strong backbone with Warren Ludlam on that, and now Mona Nicholas is new art, uh, executive director. It's a very well-run organization. And so I'm not worried about us losing the competition, but things do change, and I think we need to be thinking about where this is, where we're going in the next 10, 15, 20 years. I, I'm, I am always about looking down the road because you got to deal with the here and now, but you got to think ahead a little bit too because there's there are roadblocks, you know. Absolutely, and just be prepared for yes. what may come. Change. Absolutely, um, but I think that you know Jackson is on the map, you know, as it relates to it is in it is in the international ballet format, and we were in uh, Tennessee a couple of weeks ago, and we were promoted. Mona and I were there for the Tennessee Dance Association, and we were kind of surprised to know that there were people that didn't know anything about this IBC. Mm. And what that told me is that these directors in these schools, like what I have, they're so center-focused on their kids and where those kids are going, they're not thinking competitions. They're not, you know, they're thinking companies. They're thinking uh, college programs. They're thinking of ways, you know, they're thinking Broadway, musical theater. They're thinking of uh, all the different venues that these kids can take this wonderful training and go and extend it somewhere else. So the competition is not on, you know, your mainstream mind. So that that does concern me. I mean, that was really, that was an attention getter. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's it. That is interesting. Um, David, if I were a dancer, if I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, dance professionally what would you tell me what would, what advice would you give me well the first thing get into a studio and get with a good teacher and and really flesh that out and then be honest with yourself mm-hmm. you know it the heart it, i don't know i I've, I've got so many friends and students and dancers that have come through and and the ones that have really made it are the ones that really go look at themselves in the mirror and really deal with what they see the dance can be a fantasy land. I mean, it is so easy to get caught up in it. And so truth and honesty with yourself can go flying out the window when you're trying to pursue your passion. But I think the first thing is you've got to find a teacher who's going to be honest with you and say, yeah, you got good legs, you got good feet. No, your feet are never going to work for this. I mean, I have children, and, you know, this is where it gets really tough for me. You know they're not going to be able to go get on point shoes. Well, how do you tell the child who wants to do that so badly? So we try and find a way to let them have their cake and eat it too, and time will work it out. It's not my preferred method. And then if it's just really not going to happen, we just really say this is not going to happen because you have to protect the kid. Mm -hmm. But um, I I really, the first step is finding the right teacher Mm -hmm. and and starting that process. And then you have to look around and see what others are doing, and and you have to evaluate. I mean, it, it's a hard, hard thing to put into a child's head. Um, to me, I think it should be fun. I think it should be enjoyable. I think there should be a reward from it that the that the dancer gets, you know, internally, or that you know makes them feel not just good about themselves, but that they're growing and they're developing and they're it's it's taking them on to the next step. I'm beginning to look at dance different. I'm not looking at it so much as a profession as I am a way of life because there's so many people that come to me and say, you know, I used to be a ballet dancer, but now I love ballroom. And they're just out there dancing their hearts away in ballroom. That's fabulous. You know, I got another great friend who was a great ballet, ballet dancer, and she's a wonderful ballroom dancer. 
And she was on professional track, too, though. But mm. I don't know, Tori. It's a hard question. Yeah. It, it's so individual. Uh, but I think it all comes back to the teacher and being guided properly and being mentored properly and nurtured and being honest with. Because, mm. you know, for studios, they have to make money to stay in business. But it's not always about money. Yeah. Do you see art as transformational? I do. Absolutely. Um I think we're seeing it in this country right now. I think the explosion in art the past 10, 15 years has been pretty crazy. I don't know if it's a social media thing. I don't know if it's a technology. Or maybe it's just people are starting to feel free enough to go do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's still a stigma for boys. I don't know why. It, it makes no sense to me. I mean, I look at these guys that ride bikes. They wear tights. I look at football players. They wear tights. So the tight thing has got to go out the window. And I've got a great ad. I don't want to put it out here right now, but it involves a football player and a ballet dancer. And the ad says, hey, dads, think about this. And hopefully I can get it out. But it's it shows the beauty of the male dancer, and it shows his football player getting creamed. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I Do it. <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I don't. It's been on my mind for about ten years, and every time I wanted to do it, they said, "No, we can't do that." You know, <laughs> I mean, you, the guy's helmet's this way, and his face is the other, and here's this guy holding this beautiful girl up over his head, and you know, she's only got a leotard. I mean, you know, go figure it out. You know, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> There's nothing sissy or feminine about this art, as hard as it can be, and it's it's demanding. And you know, um, I can't remember the writer at Clarion Ledger. He's right now is Watkins, Billy Watkins came to me one competition. He said, I got this guy from Jackson State. He's going to Cleveland or Cincinnati. Can you work out with him in the dance studio? And so he came in, we did this article and within 15 minutes, that guy, I mean, he could jump this high from, he could go plie and up and he was in the air. But in 15 minutes, there was a puddle of water on the floor and he looked at me and he had his hands on his knees and he said, our NFL workouts aren't this hard. Wow. He said physically just a stretch and, you know, yes. the, all the stretching part. He yeah. couldn't believe it. And uh, that article got more feedback. I wish Billy would rerun it sometime because it, it was a fabulous article. I would love to, to read it. I'm going to see if I can find it from him. But uh, it was during, I think, 2002 competition or something like that. And um, But, no, these, these athletes that get in it, they're like, dear Lord, this is <laughs> – how do you do this all day long, you know? And I mean, that's, you know, every time I go see a dance performance, that's the first thing that goes through my head. I mean, think about it. Ballet dancers, dancers are in the studio from morning to late at night. Mm -hmm. Football players can't do that. No, no athlete can do that. I mean, it would kill them physically, you know. Um, But I know they put their energy and, and mind and resources into their work, but that take them through the day. But, I mean, dancers are on their feet seven, eight, ten hours a day. Mm-hmm. And it's it's grueling. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's Absolutely. why it's a short career, too. Yeah. How can we go about nurturing a state of art lovers? This is the biggest question that we deal with all the time. I don't know the answer to it. Mm. I really don't. Um, you can say exposure. There's, I think maybe we need an amphitheater here that we can go and give concerts in in this fall and spring and summer where people, you know, in New York, like Damrosh Park, right next to the Metropolitan Opera House, I got this beautiful park when I was a kid, and it's still there, and they've got a, a stage up there, and there was this wonderful swing orchestra. And I would go in there in the, you know, in the summer when I was studying and just go sit in that thing and listen to that orchestra all night long mm. by myself. You know, maybe a couple of kids from school would join me. But 
there were hundreds of people at this thing. Mm-hmm. And it created a community and a culture and a, and a way of life. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we're just going to have to just stuff it down our throats. But the biggest problem I see in the Southeast is that we are football sports crazy nuts. And we got to understand that there's more to life than just, I mean, I love sports. I love college ball better than anybody. Mm-hmm. But there's more to life than just that. We've got, look, Mississippi, the birthplace of America's music. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, think about all the people that have come out of here. This man, Woody, Woody Mann, on the track here, he wrote an anthology of the great Delta blues players or the black, the black blues players when he was 19, mm-hmm. studied with Gary, Gary Davis as a kid. And he's, he's a genius on all the blues music, but he's from New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so what is it about this music here that people are just, you know, in awe of? And you got Morgan Freeman, Oprah Winfrey, you got all these people coming out of this state. Um, you know, Kathy Thibodeau has done a phenomenal job at Bally Magnificat taking that company all over the world. Mm-hmm. Look what we're all doing. I mean, it, it, I don't know. I just think maybe it's got to be out there in front of them more. I don't know. Well, it. This yes, and I I agree. It's um, I mean you know when we go around the state and we see all of the amazing you know work that's being done in communities, right? Um, and artists that are being developed and nurtured, and um, it's it's so inspiring. It is, and I know that money's always at the core of it, but we're going to have to figure out how to get away around the money issue. Yeah, I, I think we're just going to have to put some sweat equity and personal time and energy into it. And go do it. Get a program and get it out there and find somebody to underwrite it. And we might not get paid for a while, but if, you know, if it brings a better place to live and inspires people to grow and be, then we're successful. And the talent is certainly here. It's here. Absolutely. It's here by the droves. Mm -hmm. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time. What a great honor, too, from the Arts Commission and the governor. I'm so humbled. I don't, you know, to be chosen and thought that well of my peers and colleagues here is just very, very humbling and beautiful. Thank you so much. Well deserved. Thank you.